Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms. Uh, our The Toon kiddos are back. Um, Rachel flew back this week from, uh, from seminary and in between studies. And Cooper uh, drove over from Whitworth last night, got here at 7, and he leaves today after second service. So that's pretty cool uh, to have all our kids together. I hope yours are with you and that you have a wonderful day of of a celebration. Next week is a, a, another uh, weekend of celebration in the life of the church. It's actually a church holiday. It's one of those holidays that, that jumps around from place to place. So any idea which holiday we're going to be celebrating next weekend in the church? Yeah, Pentecost. Say Pentecost. That's the coming of the Holy Spirit. And what do we do to remind us of that day when the tongues of fire came upon the people at Pentecost? What do we do? We rare red. See, you're already ahead of the game. You thought it was Pentecost today. So just wear that and you're, you're good to go. <clears throat> I'm disconsolate because I love wearing my red trousers for Pentecost and I will be building houses in Mexico. So I think that day I'm going to wear uh, my red trousers to the job site just in solidarity with you. So have fun next week as we celebrate the day when the Holy Spirit came to live in God's people forever. That's awesome. The, the restaurant scene in Gig Harbor it changes about as quickly as the grocery store scene and the coffee shop scene. You can't hardly keep it straight, right? And I remember back to a day when one of our favorite places to go was a Chinese restaurant called Hunan Gardens. Remember that? And our favorite place, uh, thing to eat there was sizzling rice soup. And, and that Cooper loved sizzling rice soup even when he didn't like anything. That he liked to eat. And so we used to go as a family and we would eat at Hunan Gardens and then we'd walk across the parking lot to Baskin and Robbins, now also defunct, uh, to have our dessert. One day we were there when I think Rachel was four or, or five years old. The whole family, including my parents, were there. And we made our way out of Hunan and we were crossing over the, the busy parking lot towards Baskin and Robbins. Uh, Nana Carol was in charge of Rachel, but Rachel got excited uh, for the, uh, the prospect of ice cream, and so she started to bolt. She wasn't paying attention to the cars that were streaming in off of the street, and Nana, she was already out of Nana's reach by the time Nana noticed what she was doing. And so, in brilliant desperation, my mom took her very large purse, threw it at Rachel, and knocked her off her feet. <laughs> It was awesome. <laughs> and Rachel, in typical fashion, said, Nana, what'd you do that for? And of course, what Nana was doing through her extraordinary means was trying to save her granddaughter. Last Sunday, we talked about the extraordinary means through which our Heavenly Father sought to save his children. It's the cross of Jesus. I hope you were here to hear it, and if you didn't, I hope you'll download it. Uh, it was one of those uh, weeks when I got more comments than normal out of the sermon, and it wasn't, that was a good sermon. It was a, that was a hard sermon. That was a painful sermon. I never had seen the cross in the same way as you made us look at it last week. It is a brutal, a brutal thing to realize that the long-awaited Messiah was intended from the beginning, plan A by God, to die 
a death, a brutal death on, on a cross. It shouldn't have come as any surprise to us. As I pointed out in the message, I showed you 16 ways in which the writings of the prophets, some of them going back a thousand years, anticipated this moment in great detail. So it didn't sneak up on the Lord, oh, I got to figure out something to do about this. From the beginning, it was God's intent that he would send his son to die a brutal death on a cross, a death of sacrifice that would pay a price that we could never pay ourselves. So that was the message uh, last week. Here's the deal, though, and this is what we need to understand. The cross was only half the plan. The cross was only half the plan. If we leave Jesus hanging on the cross, then he is no more than any martyr of a great cause. If it ends with the death of Christ, then he's just a martyr. But today and in the week to come, we are going to be reading in the story about the greatest moment in human history. We read about the second part of the plan, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and let me tell you this as clearly as I know. Everything rides on this. Everything rides on this story that we're going to study today. If this is not true, if Jesus is not truly bodily raised from the dead, then this is a sham. And we ought to close the doors, turn it into a community center, and go home. And I am saddened and sickened to tell you that there are some Christians, even some Christian denominations, that do not consider the bodily resurrection of Jesus to be a fact of history. And I say, then why are you meeting? To what end are you meeting? But you're in a a body of people who believe it is true, who believe that, in fact, it is the heartbeat of everything we do. Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. And if it is true, and we believe it is, then the whole of history turns on this hinge pin. It is the moment in history that changed the course of eternity. And everything that happened looks forward to that from that moment and backward from that moment. It is the anchor point of our existence as human beings. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in uh, in this week to come. The, the, The crucifixion... The crucifixion paid the price for our sin, but it is the resurrection declared that Jesus was who he claimed to be, that he really was the eternal son of God, and that he had the right and the power to defeat death and to call his children out of death into life forever. Hallelujah. So that's what's at stake here. The resurrection appears in all four of the gospels. The gospels don't all include everything, but on this one, they're all in agreement. This one, they... They include the resurrection account. And so the, the story, as we will read it this week, actually weaves together the four accounts in a really effective way. So I'm going to read that for us this morning. As we do, I want you to pay attention to this. Who, aside from Jesus, is the central character in the resurrection story? All right? Pay attention for that. I'm going to read from the story beginning page 382. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? There was a violent earthquake For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. The Gospel of John tells us that she made her way to an undisclosed room where the disciples were hiding, and she gave them the news. And upon hearing that news, we are told by John that Peter and John made a mad dash through the empty streets of Jerusalem to the tomb of Jesus. And they looked inside, and they saw, in fact, that it was empty, and they saw the grave clothes in which Jesus had been wrapped. And when they had done that, they went back home. But Mary stood by, and and John finishes the story. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Jesus, now we want to meet you in the same way that you met Mary by that tomb. With the truth, the power, the transformation of your resurrection come alive in us again today, risen Christ. For we ask it in your name. Amen. So who is the prominent character aside from Jesus that plays the key part in the story of the resurrection? Mary. Mary. And you might say, of course, if you're kind of newer to the Bible, you say, which Mary? Mary who? I mean, seeing Mary around here, uh, seeing Mary in the New Testament is like saying Dave at Chapel Hill Church. Every other man turns to look if you call out the name of Dave. There were a lot of Marys. It was the most popular woman's name at the time, Mary. And in fact, we have seven different women in the New Testament that are named Mary. The most prominent, of course, being the mother of Jesus herself. But today we come to another remarkable woman, Mary Magdalene. And on this Mother's Day, I thought it would be an interesting way for us to look at the Easter account, the resurrection account, look through her eyes. So let me ask by this, let me start by asking this. What do we already know about Mary? Well, uh, what, what do you, you think you are aware of about Mary Magdalene? Perhaps you, uh, you've heard that uh, she was the one who came unbidden to a, a dinner and uh, washed the feet of Jesus uh, with her tears and with perfume and dried them with her hair. Some of you have heard that. Maybe you've heard that she's a, a woman of uh, questionable morals until Jesus met her, even a, a prostitute. Some of you heard these things, yes? Well, could I tell you, none of those things are true. 
None of those things are true. None of those things come out of the Bible. They were actually inventions of later theologians. One pope preached a, a, an Easter message where he, he said some of these things, and others down through the centuries have continued to perpetuate this idea of Mary as a loose woman, a prostitute whom Jesus saved. But the Bible has nothing like that to say about it. So I want us to look at what we do know about Mary, what the Scriptures say about the real Mary Magdalene. First of all, she came from a town called Migdal. Migdal. That's where we get the name Mary Magdalene. Migdal means tower, and it's a town. It was a town about three miles away from Capernaum. It was a center of commerce, a very thriving, prosperous little community. And there's a possibility that Mary was wealthy. The only account that we have of Mary Magdalene, aside from ones that I'm going to show you later, is in Luke chapter 8. And we are told there that, of course, in addition to the 12 men that followed Jesus, Jesus also had a group of women disciples. And these women, we are told, supported Jesus and his ministry through, from their own means, through their own means. Mary Magdalene was one of those women. I, I infer something else about Mary. I think she was a remarkable leader. I think she was an extraordinary force to be reckoned with. Why? Because every time she is included in a list of people, and she is in several lists, with one exception, guess who's the first one on every list? It's Mary. This means something in the Bible. Anytime you find priority in a list of names, it says that the person who's leading the way, like every time you hear the apostles listed, it's always Peter who's at the top. Every time Mary's in a list, she is first. It says to me, this was a woman uh, to be reckoned with. She was a force to be reckoned with. We know one other thing from Luke chapter 8, and it is this. Jesus delivered Mary from a horrible life of demonic possession. We don't know how it came to be, but somehow that body of hers became home not to one, not to two, not to three, but to seven tormenting evil spirits. Can you imagine? And we are not told the details of it, but we are told that Jesus, the amazing Jesus, remember one of the ways he demonstrated his power at the inauguration of his ministry was by casting evil spirits, was taking authority over the spiritual world. And we are told that somehow Jesus told those spirits, you have no place in her anymore, and they left her. And this ravaged woman, this spiritually uh, defeated woman, was restored to new life because of the ministry of Jesus Christ to her. So that's what we know about Mary. Aside from Luke 8, there is no other place that she appears in the Gospels except around the death and the burial and the resurrection, and the appearance of Jesus Christ. But boy, does she appear there. I mean, she is stamped all over that story. When Jesus is dying on the cross, Mary is there. When Jesus is being laid to rest in the, the unused tomb of Mary, Joseph of Arimathea, she is there by, in the garden watching as it takes place. It is Mary who shows up in the early morning hours of that Sunday, that first day of the week, bringing oil to anoint the body of Jesus that was hastily prepared for his burial at the end of Sabbath. It is Mary who, is, uh, who the angels speak to to announce the news that Jesus is no longer dead, that he has been raised to new life. It is Mary who is told, now run and tell the disciples this good news. 
And by the way, that very action actually has been commemorated in a nickname given to her by the Eastern Church. The, the longest standing Christian expression is Eastern Orthodoxy. And the Eastern Orthodox Church considers Mary to be a hero. And they gave her, because of that, uh, that, that assignment she received from the angel that day, they gave her a nickname. Do you know what they call Mary? The Apostle to the Apostles. The Apostle to the Apostles. That's big, don't you think? In other words, she was the one who brought the news of the resurrected Christ to the men who would spread the word. But it was Mary who was given the first preaching assignment. And it is Mary, of course, as we know, to whom Jesus, the resurrected Christ, makes his first appearance. So Mary is throughout. There are other people that are involved in the resurrection story. If you read the different gospels, you'll find other names, other women, different details. But the writers of the gospels are unanimous in this. Mary Magdalene, Mary of Migdal, was the star witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I reflected on this. How many times have I read and talked on and studied the resurrection of Jesus, I mean, billions of times. And, and, but I, this week I looked at it and I, and I tried to look at it in a new way through this remarkable woman. And so what, this is what always happens, that whatever interests me is going to interest you because that's what I'm going to preach. And so I found it interesting, and I'm quite certain that you're going to find it interesting too. Here, I had three questions that kind of came to mind as a, a, a result of, of this. First of all, there are three thoughts. First of all, the The story of Mary Magdalene speaks to the authenticity of the resurrection. It speaks to the veracity, the truthfulness of this account that we have of a man who was dead and been raised back to new life. Why do I say that? For 21st century people like us, uh, the idea of a woman giving testimony to something that she has seen or experienced, that's very common for us. We would expect it. At the time of Christ, it was unheard of. Women had no standing in a court of law. Their testimony was not considered valid. So what that means is if uh, Serena or or Mama Sauce were to witness a, a, a murder, and they were the only ones to have seen it, if they went to the officials and said, I've seen this thing, their word would not even be received. Their testimony wouldn't be received because they were women. Their testimony didn't count. Women didn't count. Now, if you were trying to write what we call now Gospels, to tell the story of Jesus of Nazareth, including this remarkable account of his resurrection from the dead, think about it. The last thing you would want to do is make your key eyewitness a woman. No one would believe her. Even the disciples did not believe her. We are told in Luke that when she went to them, they said, it's nonsense. What you're saying to us is nonsense. So there is only one reason that all four gospel writers would include the inconvenient detail about Mary and other women being the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. What would that reason be? It's the truth. It is the truth. If you, were, if you were trying to create a myth, a, a hoax that you could perpetrate the, the story, the name, the memory of Jesus, then 
you would have the male disciples of Jesus be the ones who received the news of his resurrection. That's what would make sense. That was what would lend it credibility. But the male disciples of Jesus were hiding somewhere in a room in Jerusalem, scared out of their minds. It was Mary and the other women who had gone to the empty tomb to honor Jesus and who ended up being the first to receive the news, the greatest news that the world has ever heard, the resurrection of Christ. That raises a second question for me. Why did she go to the tomb? She'd already been there. She'd already paid her respects. She was sitting there as the, as the body of Christ was laid on that Friday as the stone was rolled into place. She was there. And honestly, this was dangerous business. The, being a disciple of Jesus in this moment, was it, was it was a scary thing. The stone had been placed over the door. A seal had been placed on the, on the door in order to ensure that no one fiddled with it. Because the last thing they wanted to do is have their disciples, his disciples come and steal the body away and, and, and perpetuate, perpetuate this, this myth that Jesus was risen from the dead. And just to make doubly sure, they planted soldiers outside the guard who would be killed if they failed in their duty. Believe me, they were highly motivated. So for her to make this journey, to show up at that tomb, when you got soldiers there and all of the rest of this, it did not make any sense. Jesus had been crucified. His followers had been scattered to the wind. The Jewish authorities, backed by the the power, the might of Rome, had crushed this this phony Messiah complex in in its grave. And all that remained to have happened was to sweep up the, the fading embers of a fire that had once burned so hot. Which is why the male disciples were cowering, including, by the way, the guy nicknamed Rocky, They were cowering in a room somewhere. They were waiting for the soldiers, the footsteps of the soldiers that would come and finish the work that they had started with their Lord. The chosen disciples of Jesus, honestly, honestly, were cowards. And Mary was not. She was brave. She was incredibly brave. When the 11 had abandoned Jesus on the cross, there she was. When the eleven were hiding in a room somewhere that we know not, she was there as he was being laid in a tomb. When they were still sleepless in the darkness of that early morning hour, she was already up making her way with oil to the tomb of Jesus. To do what? To honor him, to to anoint the body with oil. It seems kind of foolish. It seems risky. But this was the man who had set her free. This is the man who had restored her dignity. And so she went. But to be identified with Jesus in this moment and this time, it was a very dangerous thing. But Mary was so faithful, so devoted, that she was willing to take the risk. I wish the men had been braver. I wish the people of my gender had shown more brightly in the account of Jesus and his death and resurrection. But we don't. It is the women who were heroic. It is the women whose devotion to Jesus outweighed whatever fears they must have carried of their own safety. Back in Genesis 1, we are told that God created man as male and female in his, in, in his own image. 
Male and female. So we're not saying that God is male or female, but what what that scripture is telling us is that in order to understand the character, the nature of God more fully, we must look at both men and women to see the totality or more of the totality of who God is. And it seems to me that there's something about the nature of women that gives us a deeper glimpse into the devotion of God, into the faithfulness of God into the sacrificial nature of God. And I know this is a generalization and that there are exceptions. But I think most of us would say that there's something about the way that women are created, something about that maternal nature that is courageous and faithful and fierce in its devotion. I was talking with a friend this last week. He told me of a time when he was a little boy he went with his mother shopping to a homewares store and she was wanting to get some cutlery. They were in that section and it turned out that there were very big and sharp carving knives that were up high on the shelf. He was standing there with her and she reached up to get something and as she did, she dislodged the display of those carving knives and they came raining down upon her little boy. He told me later as he was thinking about it that If it had been a dad, a father, our instinct would have been to reach down and pull the kid out out of danger. But my friend said, I'll never forget what my mother did. She lifted her arms over me to catch the knives. She was cut badly, but she kept her boy safe. And I have seen that kind of selfless courage in, in my mom. I've seen it in my fierce little wife, and I've seen it in my daughter too. I'd like to believe that if my family or my friends were in crisis, that I would stand strong, that I would be brave, I would protect them. But there's something about the way that God has wired women. I believe it's called in Hebrew the mama bear syndrome. (laughs) That is awe-inspiring and a little frightening in its devotion and in its faithfulness. Jesus once said, I long to gather you in this wonderful image. I long to gather my children as a mother hen gathers her chicks. That's, a, that's God speaking in maternal instincts about the covering instinct of God, the protective instinct of God. And I think when we look to Mary Magdalene, we see portrayed in her life, in her devotion, in her faithfulness, that same covering, protective, nurturing instinct that is shown to us so clearly and in so many ways in the lives of women. There's one more question that this study brought to mind this week. According to the three gospel, three of the four, Matthew, Mark, and John, uh, Jesus first appear, appeared, his first resurrection appearance was to Mary Magdalene. And so that made me think, why? Why did Jesus appear first to her? He could have appeared to anyone, particularly given that his resurrection body had new qualities that he did not possess before. There was something about his resurrection body that allowed him to dematerialize and materialize. We discovered that, if you remember back to our Easter sermon, uh, he was with his friends on the road to Emmaus, and when they sat down for a meal, after they recognized him, remember what happened? He disappeared from sight. And where he went next was actually to that room where his disciples that night were still hiding. 
still hiding and cowering for their life. And we are told that Jesus appears to them behind those closed doors. So that tells me that Jesus could have appeared to those same disciples in that same room behind those same closed doors at the beginning of the day. He could have made that his first stop on his resurrection tour. He could have appeared, first of all, to Peter, which would have made the most sense, the chief of the apostles to whom he gave the keys of the kingdom. Jesus could have appeared to anyone. But he appeared to a woman named Mary of Migdal, who was considered by their culture to be a second-class citizen, whose testimony would be unbelieved and mocked And I say, why? Why did Jesus first appear to Mary? Well, maybe it's because she showed up. Maybe it's because she showed up. While the disciples cowered behind closed doors, Mary showed up in faithfulness and devotion She showed up. And not because she believed she would find a resurrection. Why would she be carrying anointing oil for a dead body if she thought she was going to find a a resurrection? No. She brought that, that, that early morning walk through the streets of Jerusalem were taking her to a place of heartbreak, of despair, of broken dreams. And even so, in that moment, there was no place else that she wanted to be. She would rather be with Jesus in death than any other place in life. She showed up, and by golly, Jesus did too. And I find this inspiring, because every one of us is going to reach a point in our lives when our dreams are shattered, our hearts are broken, our future is at risk and unsettled, and all we are knowing is despair. And some of you are there right now. I know your stories. In those times, it is easy for us to do what the male disciples did. It is easy for us to retreat, to hide, to hunker down, to avoid, to, to, to go away, into, to be cloistered away from, from life. And I think Mary says, resist that. Fight that. Don't go into hiding. In this moment, you must come out. So there's something powerful that happens when even in the dark times, we keep showing up. We keep going to our life group. We keep coming to church. We keep reading the Bible even though it is dry as dust to us. We keep throwing ourselves on our faces before the Lord and weeping before Him even though it seems like our prayers are bouncing off brass ceilings. We keep showing up. There's something that happens when we keep showing up. That is your resurrection moment. That's when Jesus shows up too. That's when Jesus shows up. So those are the things that interested me this week. To our shame, I think, as a church over the centuries, we have continued to treat women as second-class citizens. I will just say, we don't do that here. And we don't do it here because Jesus didn't treat women as second-class citizens. And it seems to me that the ultimate expression of the value and worth of women disciples came at that most important moment in Jesus' life and ministry when he appeared 
for the first time as the resurrected Lord to a devoted, courageous, faithful disciple named Mary Magdalene. Father, thank you for the witness of this woman. We are sorry that her reputation has been besmirched over the centuries by some. But with the Eastern brothers and sisters of our, of our faith, we, we laud her. We declare her the apostle to the apostles, the one who first brought the news of the resurrected Christ. We honor her and we thank you for her faithfulness. She who went to a tomb to expecting death, but in her honor and her devotion, it was where she had to be and where you in your grace met her in life and so have preserved her memory for eternity. Lord Jesus, I pray that like Mary, we will come even in heartbreak. We will keep showing up, trusting that at the right moment, the resurrected Christ will show up too. 